we are uh, we have started uh, going uh, through a series on the book of Revelation after quite a few uh, people wanting us to. Uh, and if you were here, go back to that. Uh, is that the first slide? Not going to skip it this time. Go back to that first one for me, please. Um, and uh, there are a lot of notes that we'll put on each week. On uh, Daniel, put them on on the website that we don't cover. Uh, I would encourage you to to read those and study those. A lot of verses in there. And each week it'll be different. I'll add to uh, like everything last week. We didn't get to cover. Um, I've supplemented some of that, and we actually will not cover some of that part of it. So just I just say if you're interested, read over it, study it some. Once we get through this first chapter, things will start to, uh, this is just a lot of introduction that we need uh, to try to maybe have a chance in understanding some of it. So just keep praying and studying uh, as you uh, uh, read the book of Revelation, because it is, uh, if you missed last week's introduction, uh, we won't go back and go over that again. Uh, I stumbled across a couple of things that kind of remind me of where we are, though, uh, and that is strangeness. Strange answers to questions that some young people didn't get it all together. And, and you know as well as I know, if you read anything, everybody and their brother has an idea of what Revelation is. And uh, they're not all right. So uh, that's why we want to work at it and try. It's a very difficult book to try to, try to grasp, but that's what we're going to try. But here's a couple of those strange exam answers. It said, uh, ancient Egypt was inhabited by mummies, and they all rode in hydraulics. Not hieroglyphics, hydraulics. Y'all know what hydraulics are, right? They lived in the Sahara Desert and traveled by Camelot. Camelot, you need to see the spelling on this. Camelot with the king, the 12 round tables, not camels a lot, Camelot. The climate of Sahara is such that the inhabitants couldn't live there. They had to move somewhere else. The Bible is full of interesting caricatures. In the first book of the Bible, and they've spelled it Genesis, like Genesis, the world book of records or whatever. Adam and Eve were created from an apple tree. One of their children, Cain, asked, Am I my brother's son? Boy, they mixed up. Moses led the Hebrew slaves to the Red Sea, where they made unleavened bread, which is bread made without any ingredients. Moses went up on Mount Sinai, not Sinai, Sinai, to get the Ten Commandments. He died before he ever reached Canada. Boy, that sounds just like people in Revelation, doesn't it? Solomon had 300 wives and 700 porcupines. Homer was not really, actually Homer was not written by Homer, but by another man of that name. Socrates was a famous Greek teacher who went around giving people advice, and they killed him. So he died from an overdose of wedlock. After his death, his career suffered a dramatic decline. Eventually, the Romans conquered the Greeks. History calls Romans uh, people Romans because they never stay in one place very long. Nero was a cruel tyranny who would torture his subjects by playing the fiddle to them. <laughs> if you know anything about hi history, you know he set Christians afire to encourage the people. 
not exactly the way they just put it together. And they called it that that's where that came from. One more. Another story was William Tell, who shot an arrow through an apple while standing on his son's head. Is that the way it went? No, not exactly. That's kind of what you look at when you you read some of these people that write about the book of Revelation. You're thinking, what were you smoking when you read that? Doesn't make any sense. And, and, the, and the hard thing about this is, and we'll, it, we'll see it in the study today, and uh, if you read the, the notes sometime this week, there are a whole jag of Old Testament where they allude to it. He doesn't quote the verse per se, but he alludes to it. But there's so much of what he's alluding to symbolically in the Old Testament that helps us understand the things in Revelation. So it's vitally important uh, for us to see that. Now, uh, you know, the first, the first group, the first service listens faster than y'all, so they got this part last week. Y'all didn't get it because y'all slowed. So we're making up. I got to try to keep everybody together, though, right? So we got to hurry, all right? This is it. Basically, there's four fundamental interpretations of the book of Revelation. I mean, that's kind of how it's categorized. Uh, and there are all kind of footnotes and adds to some of them believe this. But basically, as a general rule, this is what that group would uh, believe in. One of them is the idealistic approach. And their approach is this. They find timeless principles in Revelation. And everyone who holds that view somewhat uh, denies any specific historical or future meaning of the book. It's crazy. You know, oh, it doesn't have anything to do with history, and it has no future meaning whatsoever. I mean, that, that is crazy. The futuristic interpretation says this. It's all future. <laughs> Ain't nothing to do with us now or anybody else. Everything's still future. It was future to John's day. It's future to us. Nothing that has happened already, which we'll see whenever we start in, when he's writing to the, the seven churches. Absolutely, it's happening at that point in time. So it doesn't make any sense, but that's what they think. It commonly holds that everything from Revelation 4 on refers to events that still hasn't happened yet. I mean, it's just crazy. Anyway, you wonder, how do you get to that place? And if that is right, you can't read the book and say, oh, this beast that we will see in Revelation is absolutely referring to this kind of evil and this woman on this seven hill. They say, no, you can't do that. Well, what do you do with it? Because it's in there. So it doesn't make any sense. But if you understand, that's exactly where some of them is coming from. It doesn't mean anything. The preacher's view is simply past. That's all it means. Everything's in the past. Everything's already happened. Nothing yet to happen. Everything's in the uh Everything's in, except for a couple of things in the last chapter or two of Revelation, everything's already passed. Well, no, it, it's not. I mean, as we study through it, we'll see. That's not exactly, that's not either. The historical interpretation says this, that it's symbolic. It's all about symbols. All, a great deal of the history of the church from, man, the Reformation really got into this. And you read all kind of stuff where they tried to say, oh, this is what it means. And, you know, the Pope was the Antichrist and all kind of crazy things. Well, that didn't exist whenever Paul was when John was writing this, so it's kind of hard to say mm, that's what that meant. But that's what happens when you start. You have to be careful. The main thing to always remember is we want to always get back and see what did the people who were hearing this John writing to what did they think? Like the Constitution, you interpret the Constitution based on what it was whenever they wrote it. What did the words mean when they wrote it? You know, we're, we're real doing all that now. Constitution didn't mean what it used to mean, right? That's what they say. Oh, we, we got to reinterpret it. No, 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 no. It's always good to go back and say, how did they take it? How would these first century people who were hearing these words from John, how would they see it? 
has a lot to do with what it means, and we have to know that. The general interpretation. It does not refer to things still future to us, nor to things past, but to a, just across the history of time, just principles. Really philosophy. No. You ask those people in that first century, no, it's not an abstract philosophy. This is real life. That's what it was. But that's kind of what you got. You understand those things. That's exactly what's going on. In John chapter uh, 1, verse 4, we're going to pick that up. We did a little bit of 1 through 3 last week, and we're going to read it quickly. And it's in segments. We won't get, maybe we'll get into verse 8. I don't know. John to the seven churches that are in Asia. Real churches. Real churches. Really not that far apart. Not that far from where John was on the Isle of Patmos. You know, he was exiled on to the Isle of Patmos where they would send bad people. Uh, it was kind of a rock quarry in some respects, but it didn't mean that he was a wicked person, uh, but that's where they sent him. And he wasn't on the island by himself, uh, and he's there. All these are real churches in the area, uh, Ephesus, all, probably not 40, 50 miles from one another. Grace to you and peace from who it, this is very, this is a very important phrase when you see it. Look what it says. It says, for him who is, you know, if you're going to be logical, it should have been who was and is and is yet to come. But look how John writes it. He says, he starts with the present. He's writing to, because every one of these things that he's writing, you have to remember, he's writing to churches where people are being heavily persecuted already. Tribulation. So he's trying to write to them to remind them God is still in control. So that's what he does. He starts with the present tense. He says, what? Who is? He's right there where you are. He's in the church where you are. That's what he's saying to them. Who is? He was and is yet to come. And from the seven spirits that are before his throne. Okay, you're starting with this symbolism. Just hold on. There's a lot of these things will make more sense chapters down the road. Okay. Uh, is where you unfold some of the symbolism and see how all the things. You, don't, you can't put it all together in the first chapter. Uh, boy, you'll get messed up if you do. And from Jesus Christ, who is a faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead and the ruler of the kings of the earth, unto him that loves us. Remember? We saw that last week. The first thing we have to remember, number one, John points out, is of all the things that's going on, you must remember Jesus loves you. When you lose your job, Jesus loves you. When you do the right thing and you're persecuted, Jesus loves you. Because what's going on here, we'll see in the, in the churches he's writing, there's a lot of people who are compromising what they should be standing for because they want to get out from under the persecution. There's a lot of people sell out when the tension gets hard. Well, Jesus don't want me to suffer. Yeah, he does. If it's doing the right thing, he wants you to suffer. You know, that's what this whole thing is about. You know, the whole thing is about tribulation. And it was already in John's day. It's in our day. It's going to be in the days ahead of us, and it's going to get more intensified. So he's writing to encourage them, listen, I know you're being persecuted, and, you know, you can stay with it. You do not have to compromise. A lot of people just sell out. They say, oh, well, Jesus didn't want me to do that. Sometimes he does. That's exactly what it is. To him be the glory and the dominion forever and ever. Amen. Behold. He cometh with the clouds, and every eye shall see him. <laughs> you know, it's amazing how we think we can do something and get away with it. And God doesn't see it. I might not see it, or your parents might not see it, but you better believe God's got it on much higher tech than anything we know. And one day, whenever we stand before him, and you try to say, well, oh, no, 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 he's going to say, Bick, 
and you're going to see your whole life in just a few seconds, and there's no excuse. There won't be an excuse. What? And every eye shall see him, and they that pierced him, and all that tribes of the earth shall mourn over him. You know, one day, one day, in the end, there will be nothing but miles and miles and miles of nothing but a throne and a face, Jesus, and a chair. And no one's going to be there but you. And you're going to have to give an account. That's what he's talking about. Some will mourn. Uh, there's a whole, a whole another world of what people think that means or what it doesn't mean. He says, I'm the Alpha and Omega, saith the Lord God, who is, there it is again, who is now present. You know, Jesus does that several times in, the, in what he's talking about. He says, you know, um, I am the God of Abraham. They tried to pass it off to the Old Testament. He said, no, 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 no. A present tense, I am. Still I am. Not I was, I am. The Alpha and Omega. What does that cover? Everything. He said, there's nothing in here that, that I don't have anything to do with. From the very beginning to the very, very end, I'm in all of it. And that's what he's trying to tell us. In the church, he said, I've always been with the church. I am with the church. I will be with the church. When I say the church, I mean us. I don't mean harmony. I mean you as a believer. You and I as believers make up the church. So every time you see this concept of church, that's what that means. It doesn't mean just a church name. It means you. And it means me as our believers, as believers. That's what it is. Throughout the book, there's this whole orientation is this thing's going somewhere. <laughs> It's coming down to fruition. There's going to be an ending of this thing. That's what it's about. It's part of the common New Testament perception. Unless Christians live their lives in light of the end, you're really not very spiritual. If all you're focused on is what's your, what, how much money you're going to make today, who you're going to marry today, if that's your whole concept of just living in the now and you're never looking forward to the end of, you know, that's exactly what the Scripture says, you know, Lord Jesus, come. If our concept is never we're thinking about, man, this thing is coming to an end, so how am I going to live my life in relation to this thing that's coming to an end? That's what he's talking about. Then we're, we're not being very spiritual. What did Jesus say? What is the promise of man if he gains the whole world and loses his soul? How many people in this country are playing church? Playing church. You know, this whole thing is about church. Real church in the end. You know, uh, well, we'll keep, let's hurry up. What shall he give in exchange for his soul? Do not fear him who can cast your body into the fire, but fear him rather who can cast your body into the fire and can cast both body and soul into hell. Bless their heart. There's a lot of people that don't believe in hell. You might not believe the earth is round. It's not going to change it, though, you know. You know when, again, when one day it's too late, you're going to say, uh-oh, I was wrong. There really is one, and I'm in the middle of it. He said, that's what you need to fear. You don't need to fear Nero. You don't need to fear Domitian. They were all bad emperors that were persecuting Christians. They're not the ones you need to fear. You need to fear the one, even after you're dead, who can cast you into an eternal hell. You know, that's what he's talking about here. The book of Revelation is a book of worship that summons us to recognize God is awesome. We should worship him. You know, that's what the whole book is. Remember when it comes to the end, what does it say? All of them fall down and worship him. That's what it's about. You know, that's what it should remind us. One of Revelation's most important declarations is that, that Jesus appears. Here we go. This topology, the lampstand. Where does it show up in the Old Testament? 
He defines it and tells us what it is. He says here in verse 12 and 2-1, which represents is symbolic of the seven churches. What is a lampstand? You know, what is the... You know, what is it that ever, I guess you call them Orthodox Jew, what would they have in their home, their home in relation to a lampstand? Menorah. That's what it was. It was, it was the lamp. It was the lamp that was in the tabernacle. It was the lamp that in the temple. It was the lamp. He said, this is what it is a picture of. The lampstands are the church. What was it supposed to do? Give light. Wow, here we go. This whole concept of church John is saying it started in the Old Testament what the Jews were supposed to be, and they failed. God's concept is still going to be there, the church, and it's going to come to fruition. And so that's what he's talking about every time we see this idea of church. We inherited that from our, our Jewish ancestors. You only need to skim over the five letters, five of the uh, church letters, and you'll see they had some serious problems that he's having to deal with. Okay? We'll see that when we start going into letters. But what happens is, it remains a place where Christ, present, the true church, until they completely turn their back on him, Christ is in the middle of it. And that's what John is writing. He said, Jesus is saying, I'm with you. You're suffering. We'll pick that up in verse 8 and verse 9, where he says, I, your brother, I'm in the middle of this tribulation with you. <laughs> you know, this day and time, unfortunately, there's a lot of preachers. I'm going to pick on us, okay? I had one lady in another place, she hated when I talked about preachers because the ones she liked so much were the ones I'm talking about. You know, unfortunately, that's just the way it was. You know, I didn't even know these guys, but evidently she knew I was talking about them, and I didn't even know who they were. I just know that's what they were doing. There's a whole, a whole tribe of preachers who really don't want to get involved in people's life. They just want to show up, dump something out there on the people, and then leave and go somewhere else and do something. They don't want to deal with anything else. John said, oh, no, 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 I'm suffering with you. I know exactly what it is because I've been exiled for the same reason why you're being persecuted. You know, we understand that relation. That's what he's talking about when he says that. Jesus is faithful to the church. That's what John is saying. You churches, you're in trouble right now, but he's faithful. He greets the churches on behalf of the Father and the Spirit and the Son, whose redemptive work results in the Christian's new status because of what he did we are now a kingdom of priests. Remember, we looked at that a little bit last week. Now, verse 4, 7. Boy, 7 is a, is a favorite number, isn't it, in Revelation? It is. Man, we're going to see it a lot of times. I didn't look at many times it's going to be, but it's in here a lot. All right? If you got a thesaurus or a, what do they call it? Not a thesaurus. A, oh, goodness. What is it that's got all the words in it? Concordance. Yeah. If you look that up, see how many times sevens in the book of Revelation? A lot. A lot. What is that? It signifies completion or fullness is what it means. And it comes from, starts with, the first time you see it is where? Genesis. Seven days of creation. Man, you see it in the Old Testament, Leviticus. Sevenfold sprinkling of the blood is a completed action. Seven-day duration of the festivals, always in that cycle. Services, ordination. How many times did they march around Jericho? How many days? Completions. Fullness. That's what it means. That's the symbol of it. We need to understand that going into the book of Revelation. At length of periods cleansing from the uncleanness. Seven. Go dip seven times. The significance of the number is here that the seven churches represent the fullness. You remember when Jesus said, I'm going to build my church? He was supposed to build it with the Jewish people. Guess what? They didn't do it. 
So he said, oh, no, that's not going to stop. And that's one thing that we have to remember. The church is the fulfillment of the promise that God made the Jewish people. Okay? And we're going to see, and, and we'll see in later on here when it talks about the synagogue of Satan, where what, what is going on at that time is it, under different rulers, Roman rulers, Jews, the Jewish people were at one time let off, and they did not have to worship the pagan gods, okay? Uh, and then they could buy it out by making a little payment. But what happened was the Jewish people who were not believers in Christ started persecuting the Jewish Christians who were because they would say, oh, no, no, they're not in our synagogue anymore. They're Christians. They're not with us. You need to make them go and pay the price, or you need to make them go and worship. That's what he's referring to when he says the synagogue of Satan. We'll see it unfold in the letters as we go. That's exactly what it is. So the, the whole concept of the church is all in Revelation. Why? Because that's where it's going. You say you don't like church? You, you need to get saved. You know? Because when all this is over, and I'm not talking about Harmony Church or, or any other church, because all of us have all kind of problems, all right? But the end of this thing is church when nobody's up there but Jesus and we worship him. That's where it's going. That's what this is talking about. It's the fulfillment of the Jewish promise. The messages for Christian readers need grace to persevere in their faith in the midst of tribulation, especially when you're, you're almost ready to compromise because you'd rather not stand for what's right so you don't have the pressure. It's easy to cop out, right? Well, if I do that, my goodness, I might lose my job. Okay. I do that, nobody might like me. Even better. You know, sometimes. Oh, no. Well, Jesus wouldn't want me to suffer. Why? He said, all those who uh, are godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. And what Peter said? That's exactly what he said. Jesus said that. Said, they hate me. If you live for me, they're going to hate you too. And to such external turmoil, they need peace. And that's what Paul is saying. He said, I mean, John is saying, he said, listen. Christ is in the middle of this thing with you. Remember that. He's not off out there somewhere. He's right in the middle of this thing with you. That's where our peace comes from. Only God who is in control of space-time history can give us that. The president can't. And Lord knows our governor can't. Or no one else. Nobody can do that. The preacher can't. Only Jesus can do that. And that's exactly what he's reminding them of. The purpose of the revelation is to give eternal perspective of him who is and was and will yet to come. You know, the now and the not yet. To focus our attention. There's more to this thing than what's going on in the world right now. We get so caught up with money and stuff. I'm, do we ever even think about the end? Do we ever even think about what Jesus really, what he's going to do and how he wants to use us and where this thing's going? Do we ever? No, I do have some reflections. I don't think we're going to get that far on both of these things. Some questions for us to ask. In light of this and this, how should we do this? What should we do here? How's that going to work? To enable us, the readers, to understand his commandments. To motivate us to be obedient. Why? Because it's all coming down. It's going somewhere. The prophetic message is not only from God and Christ, but as from the seven spirits. What is that? The Holy Spirit. We'll see how that comes back around and where we pull it from in the Old Testament. Same thing. The number seven again, representing the fullness. The Holy Spirit is needed by the believers to encourage us, to empower us. That's what the Holy Spirit is. It's our power source to be able to do what Jesus wants us to do. Grace to persevere. 
Man, I sure feel like quitting. No, I can't. Why? Because of Jesus. That's what he's saying. In the midst of tribulation, especially when you're almost willing to compromise. He said, well, and we, and, you know, we justify it. We said, well, Jesus wouldn't, want me, Jesus wouldn't want me to suffer. Why not? He suffered. If you're doing the right thing, why not? That's just not what you find a Christian today, especially in America. There is no suffering. Every day is a Friday. Everybody gets a pink Cadillac. Nobody gets sick. And if you are, it's just sin, right? Just don't receive it. I like that one, don't you? I've tried that before. It doesn't work. I've been around somebody sick, and I say, I'm just not going to receive it. I received it. Why? Because I live in a fleshly body. It empowers us. Some of y'all know what I'm talking about, don't you? Y'all grew up around those people too, didn't you? Just don't receive it. I'm thinking, you nut. That's what that is. That's nut. That's nutty. In verse 5, John's greeting comes from Jesus Christ, who is described as a faithful witness. He stood, paid the price. John said, you can stand and pay the price. You don't have to cop out. Jesus could have copped out whenever he's crying drops of blood. He says, if this could pass from me. But he didn't give in. He didn't give up. From the firstborn from the dead and the ruler of the kings of the earth. He's calling this from Psalms, those two places there. And it speaks of those who will rule over his enemies and who will sit on his throne forever. John says, you've got to remember, this is, this is minute here. It's not going to last long. Whatever you suffer here one day, it's going to be gone. It'll be over. We're talking about forever. His resurrection has resulted in the establishment of his eternal kingdom. That's what we're talking about. The end. The end of this thing lasts for forever. Do we lose sight of that? We do. We are priests. Priests. <laughs> you Catholics in here, you don't understand what that means exactly. You know, It's a hard concept when all you've heard all your life is you have to go and have somebody stand between you and God you have to understand that is Jesus only. No person can forgive your sin. Only Jesus' blood can erase your sin. That's a hard concept. I know we, we have people in our extended family that are Catholics all their life, and, and they're 80 years old, and they still say, I, I just, I say, no, you just either do it or you don't. You either trust Jesus or you trust somebody else. We, I am my own priest because Jesus intercedes for me. You know? We saw a little bit of that last week. We're priests in the sense that we are to be the ones who share the gospel, so we are the mediators simply because we repeat the gospel to someone else. I don't save anybody. I can't save anybody. I can't do anything about their sin. All I can do is share with them the gospel that shows them that Jesus does that. All right? That's what we're talking about when we say priest. And how do we attain that place? Because he died and resurrected. So when he says he was a faithful witness. He's already done what he's asking us to do. Be faithful. That's what it is. It's the Exodus. What does it say there? Remember? You shall be to me a kingdom of what? Priest and a holy nation. That's exactly what it is. By example, that's what we are. What was prophesied as Israel's role in Exodus? That's exactly what God was calling them for and never fulfilled by Israel. They were never faithful. They sold out. They were supposed to be the mediators. They acclimated when they went across into Jordan. That's why God said, kill them all, because if you don't, I know what they're going to do to you. They didn't listen, so they acclimated, so they went into captivity two different times. Why? Israel never did it. They were supposed to be the ones that lead us to that church state. They didn't do it. John says, no. 
And as now John is saying, this has happened because of Jesus' death and resurrection. The church state is now stated as accomplished. He said, why? Because the kingdom started when Jesus was baptized by John in the Jordan. The kingdom started then. Is it finished? Nope. Was John in the middle of it? Yes. Are we in the middle of it? Yes. Haven't come to fruition yet. But it started, and that's exactly the, what was supposed to happen. And John said, oh, yeah, it's happening. And Jesus has been in the middle of it on the day the church was started at Pentecost. He was in the middle of the church on the day that time John that was writing these things. He's in the middle of it now. The same thing. That's the promise, he says. He's here. It's there. The church is identified with Christ as a priest and now exercises a role as priest by maintaining a faithful witness. means you don't compromise. That's how it's maintained. There's a whole lot tied up in this tribulation deal. To the world and a witness to suffer. Well, I, I don't think it's fair. Why? Why do you think you should not suffer and Jesus should suffer? You think you're better than Jesus? Do I think I'm better than Jesus? Well, it's just not right. Why is it not right? I want to hear that reasoning. Well, there is no answer. I'm no better than anybody else. You're no better than anybody else. Jesus, if Jesus did it for us to be a faithful witness, we, we can expect it. Peter already said it. Expect it. It defeats the strategies of the enemy while suffering the apparent defeat. People look at the church today, the true church, and they say, oh, it's, it's losing. Oh, no, no, no. We're not losing. People looked at Jesus down on the cross and said, oh, he's losing. No, he wasn't. He's in the fight, and while he's in the fight, he's winning. The church who stays with it, and why, who is the church? Us. The church who stays with it and does not compromise, oh, it looks like we're being defeated, but no, 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 we're winning. We're winning by being faithful. That's what he's saying. The expression from Exodus is this. It's a summary of God's purpose for Israel. This is what he meant for them to be. They were supposed to be the gospel to the lost nations, and they didn't do it. They wouldn't do it. They were to be a kingly and priestly nation mediating, meaning they're telling the rest of the world about God's saving revelation. What happened? They caved. They started worshiping Baals. They started doing everything everybody else was doing. They didn't do it. They were supposed to. They didn't do it. By witnessing to the Gentiles, Isaiah, a purpose which the Old Testament prophets absolutely said, we haven't done that. We still haven't done that. You know, when we ask ourselves, the church, are we doing exactly what Jesus said we're supposed to be doing? It was supposed to be this, and John said, oh, yeah, it's happening through the church. Church is surfing a lot of tribulation. The kingship and the father's sovereignty over history are the basis of the church's grace and peace for the father. Verses 7 and 8. We're going to have to hurry. We only have about four minutes. Y'all listen fast enough? I'm talking just as fast as I can. The conclusion of John's greeting, we'll pick it up in verse 8 where he starts to talk about, okay, I saw this vision. This is what it is. This is how I interpret it. This is who Jesus was. Conclusion of his greeting or introduction is, comes from two Old Testament quotations. John speaks of all the peoples of the earth, so on, and as the phrase, and every eye will see him. Okay? In Zechariah 12, he's talking to Israel about the same thing. So you see Israel, New Testament of the church, Israel, New Testament of the church, things that were supposed to be happening to Israel, you know, they're moving, they're coming through the church. Revelation to all the peoples of the earth, especially those peoples who have received the Holy Spirit or are believers. That is, all true believers in Jesus mourn, 
this is questionable. Some think, well, they're, they're just sorry. Mm, I don't, I'm not sure that's what it is because if you look at these other places, this is what it says in Daniel 7, 13. It reflects that those who pierced him would see him and mourn. It's coming from Zechariah chapter 12. Those are all uh, prophecy, prophets in the Old Testament. If you don't know who they are, just look in the front of your Bible and it'll tell you. It's Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, you know, go down the list. And that's who that is, just Old Testament prophet. In Matthew chapter 24, 30, it says the same thing. Jesus says, and, what, and all the peoples and the tribes of the earth, and we'll see you in the very end of this thing, what Jesus is saying is, it's not just about you Jews. The rest of the world is in this picture. You know, because even now the Jews think, who's the only one? Them. A lot of Baptists think they're the only ones. Methodists think they're the only ones. Muslims think they're the only ones. Everybody thinks they're the only ones. The Jews think they're the only ones. They're going to come to this end of this thing. They don't know all the tribes of the earth. They're going to be some there from all over the place. No assurance could be better encouraging to suffering believers in 2024. <laughs> we haven't suffered yet. We haven't suffered yet. You know, we don't know what that is. If you've been in other parts of the world and you've seen a little bit how people can be suffering, we don't know what it is yet. But it, it's coming. <laughs> if we live long enough, it's coming. To understand that God said, I'm going to fix this mess. They're not going to get away with anything. You know, how much is our government getting away with now? Everything, every day something come out where they lied about something. They think they won't get away with it. They're getting away with it right now. One day they're not. Boy, it's going to be, a, ooh, it's going to be a sad day when they stand before Jesus and that throne up there. He's going to say, I'm sorry. I don't know who you are. Blue cup. You in hell forever, you know. And the church oppressors. They're going, to, they're going to be dealt with. You don't have to worry. God's going to take care of it. It's not altogether clear in Revelation 1-7 what the morning implies. What does it mean? In Gentiles, in Matthew, it's, it's fear. Or, or they're going to be afraid. They're going to be afraid. <laughs> yeah, they are going to be afraid. But the note of vindication, some try to say, oh, no, it's just mourning. Some say, no, it's just fear. It's clearly without any question, vindication is going to happen. God's going to take care of this mess. You know, teenagers think they can get away with something. And young adults think they can get away with something. Nobody's going to get away. God's got your whole life in a little snapshot. We think we fancy with all this stuff now that we can record it. It's nothing. God's going to go bloop, and you're going to see everything you've ever done, everything you ever thought, and there's going to be no excuse whatsoever. So you better get it straightened out now. <laughs> That's what he's saying. It's coming. Yeah. He confirms in chapter, verse 8, once again, that all of history, God's got it. Don't forget that. Whether it's a COVID or whatever the next thing the government tries to do or whatever the next thing the world health tries to put on us, remember, God is still in control. Okay? That's what he was reminding the church then. That's what he's reminding us. And the church that's ahead of us the next year down the road. His people need not fear as something will happen apart from God's plan, you know? Remember, I made a comment of it. I believe it was last week or week before. I remember when the Speaker of the House said that, you know, it was God's will that Biden be in president. You know, he's probably right, you know? Why? Maybe to wake us up. But you know what it says? There is nothing that happens outside of God's control. Oh, wait a minute now. Yeah, but I lost somebody. I did too. I'm telling you, even people in our family, when they die, it's not outside God's knowing and doing. 
I, I shouldn't say doing, because a lot of things happen from a natural flow in our world because we live in a fallen nature. We live in a fallen world. And God doesn't have to uh, just make that happen. Those things are going to happen. And you say, well, he lets it happen. He does. I don't, I can't, I, all I know is God's in control, is still in control. Nothing's going to happen to me as a believer that he doesn't okay first. That's a hard concept to get. But that's exactly what he's saying here. Church, you're suffering, but God still got it. And we have to remember to stay on that when the world is falling apart around us and we're at the moment of compromise. You remember, God still got it. That's the only thing we got going for us. I hope you're not depending on the government. <laughs> if you hadn't seen that mess just in the last two years, where are you? Are you, even, are you paying attention at all? <laughs> you know, you say, well, anyway, the title Alpha and Omega, it just means everything. Everything. God's in control of everything. Everything. And you and I don't understand all that. And we're not going to understand all that. We're not. But he said, listen, when tribulation here, you just got to remember, God's got it. God's in control. It's all under his authority. Just like Job and Satan. Did Job know all that was going on? No. Did it make any sense to Job? Absolutely not. Was God in control? You better believe it. Same thing. You said, that's just too hard. To that's called faith is what that's called. <laughs> Cheer up, it's going to get worse. While it's kind of calm, you better get that stuff figured out in your mind. Am I going to trust Jesus or am I going to figure this thing out? You know, we're going to try to figure as much as we can. We got to quit though, right? Who is, there it is again. Who is, present tense, who was in the past and who is yet to come. God is with us now. Remember that. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, that we can trust you, that you have a plan, and no one's going to mess that up. We can make bad choices in our life that might slow down what you want to do and even cause us more heartache, but you're still in control. Father, we thank you for that. Help us trust you. Help us not compromise even when tribulation comes. Help us be faithful as you were. Strengthen us to do that. In Jesus' name, amen.